The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Actually, my second non-political guest, Chief Kevin Molas. Welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here. When you invited me on, I was very enthusiastic because I have always found, you know, Malden Access Cable TV to be a great uh, format or a venue to interact with the public. So I really appreciate this opportunity. I thank you very much. I'm sure I'll have you on, you know, many times in the future. Uh, So for people who see you walking the beat or have known you or new people who've come to Malden, can you just give them a brief history of yourself, where you grew up? Yeah, I'm a lifelong resident of Malden. I uh, grew up in Edgeworth, still live there. Uh, March f- uh, 1st of this month was me beginning my 40th year with the Malden Police Department. So my family's been in uh, Edgeworth for uh, a long time. My mother was born there. Her father was born there. And uh, my mother's grandparents moved here from Ireland back in, like, the 1860s. So we've been here a long time. Uh, Couldn't be happier that this is where they chose to live. And uh, it's been a tremendous city to grow up in, and it's been an honor and a privilege to actually walk those streets as a cop, patrol those streets as a cop, and... uh, in many respects, every day I'm grateful for what I believe maybe the undeserved uh, privilege and blessing of being the police chief. I never would have dreamed that was possible. I will tell you, when I was a, a little kid in grammar school, the nuns would always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, I always said a police officer, I don't know why. There was nobody in my family that did that. I do have a vivid memory that when I was in kindergarten and I went to the Emerson School, before I went to the Immaculate Conception, there was a police officer who used to cross us. His name was Danny Long, and uh, he was this larger-in-life figure. He kind of looked like Spencer Tracy, the actor to me, and always in his uniform. It was just something I looked up to, and you never know, you know, what has an impact on you. But that did, and uh, I remember him. And then, you know, in that era, there were police shows that tended to really project the honorable, noble nature of police service, whether it be Adam 12 or Dragnet. And then, you know, from then on, you had, you know, things like ships. And, you know, they really accentuated the positive element of police service. So I grew up in a generation when those things were important, and I think they had an impact on me. You know, that's why it's important... (coughs) to me to try to get the best side of this great profession out to people and let them know that it's a worthwhile endeavor. It was, it's always been that way. And that's why I think uh, maybe, maybe there's been a shift in the modern world of uh, entertainment and media that doesn't really uh, do a service to the cops by putting out that story. So. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of it. Um, again, I couldn't think of a better city to grow up in, and uh, it's been a tremendous privilege and honor for me to be a member of this department for as long as I've been. Wow, 40 years. That's a, it just flew by. Yeah, it did. So. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, I can still remember, you know, my first night, my first weeks, uh, I would get assigned to Maplewood Square, you know, where you live, and I'd have a walking route overnight, and you had a ring of blue box, 
the 43 bucks, 15 minutes after the hour, every hour, to prove that you were on your route. And I had to learn streets that I didn't <laughs> know about. Because I think back then in Malden, you kind of you know, lived in your neighborhood. You hung around with kids in your neighborhood. So I was real good on the streets in Edgeworth. But then I would get down to Maplewood, and they'd tell me I had to go up to uh, Nana Pashmet, and I, I yeah. didn't know what it was. And they had a book that you have with the street guide in it, and you'd figure it out. And then as time would go on, you got to work different parts of the city, and you got to realize uh, the city was a lot bigger than just Edgeworth, and there were a lot of good neighborhoods and a lot of good people. And that continues to be the case, and that's one of the real positive things about you know still living here and being a member of the police department that serves that community that has changed but uh, remains the same in many respects as far as the goodness the uh, willingness to help others and the desire to uh, treat people you know with with equity and justice well that's just like me as I, like i announced my my run for at large and i'm used to you know, being from Maplewood, yeah. knowing my ward, now I, I venture in. And, you know, I've grown up hanging around with different people from all parts of the city. Yeah. But now new streets, just like when I I was first campaigning years ago, that, that street name confused me and some people can't find it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. But aside from our love for Malden, some people don't know I was I was in the Air Force and the security forces yep. as a cop. So I have tremendous respect for cops all over, and it's, it's not an easy job. Yeah, that's an interesting point because there are a variety of ways that someone can serve in law enforcement, whether it be a municipal police officer, a state police officer. Uh, somebody that I used to work with, Mike Grady, uh, went on to become an environmental police officer because he had a great love for the outdoors. And then you can even take it up a notch, federal, FBI, DEA, ATF. Uh, someone could serve their country in the military but provide that vital role of security in and around bases or conduct investigations about events that take place on government property. So there's a variety of ways that you can serve in the capacity of law enforcement. Uh, there are different methodologies and different uh, fields of endeavor. At the end of the day, it's about service, though. It's about responding to calls, and it's about being there when people need them. And you know, I, I recently attended uh, the funeral in New York City for uh, Detective Brian Simonson from the uh, NYPD who died in the line of duty recently. And uh, something, you know, really struck me as I listened to the eulogy offered by NYPD Commissioner Jim O'Neill. And one of the things he talked about was the nobility of the police profession, and he asked members of the public who were in attendance at the funeral that day or wanted, would be able to hear his eloquent words that that's something that people should, should realize and remember, that when they hear the siren or see the blue lights and see an officer responding to a call or walking a beat or just visibly present somewhere, that they are doing that for people who they don't know in most cases. And there's something really profound and powerful about that, the idea of doing something for others, like yourself. You're a veteran. You served your country. Uh, you really were you know, offering your service for people who you didn't really know, yeah, And there's something about that. I mean, I think we all pull together when a friend or a family member needs help. But there are other areas of life that give you the opportunity or the privilege to be able to do something for a stranger. And that's one of the tremendous aspects of the police service, the fire service, or the military service. So I commend you for your service and uh, the fact that you were involved in the uh, law enforcement end of it, uh, you know, shows some knowledge and insight into what we do and mike grady was was my chief at the unit out in chicopee really six years yeah i i yeah. know now that you mention that that mike uh while he served as a police officer also served his country in the reserves yes and yep. uh he, he's, he's a great great uh asset he teaches in the academies now and it's always good to see him and uh i believe it's his dad pat grady was also a malden police uh officer who fittingly, with St. Patrick's Day coming up, uh, never lost his Irish accent. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, speaking of, I know you're also a fan of history. Um, what What is the history of the Malden Police? Like the first, does it go way back? Yeah, to when? it does. Uh, uh, 
again, just so for the people that are hearing this, uh, this is not prepared. This is spontaneous. So if I flunk some of the history questions, that's because I didn't have time to study. But that is something that I think I, I can be accurate about. Uh, I think that the first origins of, of the town of Malden uh, needing public safety, uh, they used to have uh, constables. And people would be assigned that task and paid a very uh, small amount of money to do it. And I think the first constable was a person named Richard Adams. And he took the job because someone else had been designated and refused to do it. And Richard Adams stepped up and did it. Now, as, as the profession of policing grew, as the city grew, and I'm not just talking about Malden, generally speaking, even large cities started out with, with constables. And then it uh, evolved into something called watchmen. And uh, actually, in, in, on December 22nd, 1868, the first member of public safety in Malden died in the line of duty, a uh, watchman named David Faulkner. Uh, was investigating some suspicious activity on Summer Street at the uh, train station where the Pearl Street restaurant is right now. And uh, he was shot and killed, and he was a watchman, David Faulkner. But as the, as the city grew, you know, the need for law enforcement grew. And as uh, civilization evolves, different forms of transportation and communication evolve. I mentioned to you in my first nights as a police officer, I would walk a beat and I'd have to go to a blue box and ring that box. Or if I had to call in the station, I called in from that box. There were no cell phones. Uh, and, but the fundamental mission you know, remained the same. Be there when people needed help. And you know, as the city grew, the size of the police department grew. Um, there were you know, various methods of patrolling Foot patrol was a very popular thing for many, many years. And then the emergence of the automobile came along. And now most of what we do is sector-based policing in cruises. The city is divided into uh, eight wards. Um, and now, you know, the city is in essence divided into eight sectors that don't perfectly mirror the wards, but kind of do. Um, and as technology has grown, a lot of what we do has changed. Uh, the radios are more uh, available to people now. Uh, things like uh, even use of force. Uh, we have less lethal options, whether it be pepper spray. Uh, there are things that the sergeants have in the, in the cruises if they encounter someone in a situation where less lethal force is, is necessary. But again, I think the job kind of fundamentally remains the same. The idea of being there when people need them, need the police. And, you know, we continue to uh, move with society. And with the changes in society, also crime trends and different crimes emerge. So, you know, it's, it's a good history. It's a proud history. We do have four members of the department who have made the ultimate sacrifice. I mentioned watchman David Faulkner. Then we also have Officer uh, Isaiah uh, McLean, uh, Officer Edward Callahan, and Officer Alan Ray all made the supreme sacrifice for their community and the department, and we remember them uh, every day. And I was very proud when we opened up our new police station that we were able to put up a memorial on the, on the property uh, honoring them forever. I was there that day when when they unveil that it's very beautiful yeah yeah I, yeah it I, meant a lot to us to be able to do that uh, you know as as you indicated you know you serve in the military uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day are two important days where we reflect upon how lucky we are because of people who served and that's why in the same uh, vein within the service of uh, public safety you know we do acknowledge and remember those that uh, have you know sworn to do a job with great risk, but when that risk does manifest itself in the reality of someone giving their life, uh, you know, we that's something that's it's our duty and it's our obligation to remember it. It is. It's very important. Um, 
Switching topics, I know you served some time in, in the schools when I first got to the Malden Middle School in 92. Yes. Yeah. I remember seeing you in the hallway. Yes. Uh, back in 1993, October, I was assigned to Malden High School in uniform as a sergeant. Now, back then, it wasn't because there was a crisis in the school or because there was any danger that we were reacting to. Uh, at the time, the district attorney was Tom Riley, and Tom Riley had kind of committed uh, an important strategy of his uh, time as the DA toward youth violence and school safety. And he wanted to focus on identifying problems or youthful offenders before they became uh, a bigger problem. So consistent with that, uh, the mayor at the time, I was Ed Lucy, uh, the decision was made to put a police officer in the school, not as a security guard and not because there was a, a danger issue. And I was the one that was given that privilege. And uh, Mr. Duffy was one of the assistant principals back then, uh, Bob DeGiamarino, uh, Fred Feldman and Dr. Carlson. John Wright was the principal. But I, I was given that assignment, and I immersed, myso immersed myself in the you know, life of the students, gave me a better perspective and an understanding of some of the challenges that, that they faced. Uh, I think it was a great opportunity for young people to be able to see a police officer and maybe in a broader sense the idea of who the police are and what they do uh, give them an added uh, perspective. The school was extremely gracious and open to my presence. I was allowed to talk in classrooms about various issues. Uh, and I got to really experience a lot of the tremendous good that goes on in schools. W one of the uh, challenges that police face is that we, sometimes by the nature of our resources, are more reactive toward crime. You know, there's a, a saying, I think it was Bill Bratton uh, came up with the, the idea that police traditionally operated under a strategy of the three R's. Now, we're in Boston, so I can say the three R's, and you'll understand what <laughs> yeah. I mean. When I say this to people not from around here, they don't know what I'm talking about. The three R's, or R's, it's a random patrol, rapid response, and reactive investigations. And what that really means is that, by and large, police tended to get in their police car and drive around their sector randomly. Yep. When a call would occur, they would respond as rapidly as possible because when you call the police, you want them there right away. And then when they got to the call, they would do a reactive investigation. Now, that's always going to be what we do. But... You have to be a little bit more forward-thinking. So, you know, Bill Bratton and some of the, you know, real geniuses in the world of public safety understood that you needed to come up with something else other than the three R's. You needed the, the three P's, and I think that involved partnerships, problem-solving, and prevention. Because if you can do those things with partnerships and problem-solving and prevention and layer that over the three R's, you can do a lot of good. So the idea of, of me being in the school uh, was an example of a partnership between the police and the schools to kind of work together to identify problems and solve them, to build relationships, um, to engage in some prevention, find ways that we could you know, foster a better environment and a better relationship. And Otherwise, the only time a police officer really would go to a school or to your house or anything would be if there was a problem, if you yeah. called the police. <clears throat> so under that format, the police only get to know you when there's a problem. And that can kind of uh, color their perspective of, of the place. Now, I had the luxury of not being in a random patrol environment, I could spend a lot of time there. So with that time, I got a better appreciation of uh, what goes on in a school. Students got a better understanding and appreciation of what 
the police might do and represent. And uh, through trust and through relationships, people are more willing to talk. People are more willing to give information. And we were able to do a lot. Uh, you know, there were some issues that were uh, present in the school that we were able to work together to address things like trespassing uh, and, and things of that nature. So I spent, uh, I think, about nine years there. And the interesting and kind of one of the more touching elements of it for me was is how many students are now police officers. Yeah. And that happened. Or when years later, someone will come up to me and say that they remembered me from being in the school. And over that nine years, that would have you know, probably uh, been thousands of kids when you really think of it. And when you get to hear them uh, and they remember you, it means a lot because sometimes you don't realize that. But I, I will say that assignment also made me very cognizant of some of the challenges that young people face in their life, the choices they have to make in their life, and how sometimes those choices can be tragic and have, uh, you know, dreadful consequences. And it was right around toward the uh, end of my assignment in the school, around 2000 and 2001, that we were starting to see the uh, OxyContin uh, use really having a devastating impact on uh, young people and how that was beginning to morph into uh, a broader problem of opiates and heroin particularly. And that was kind of where my career kind of segued when I left the school to go into plain clothes and work in the, in the drug unit and anti-crime. So that's kind of my uh, school answer. Would you say the, uh, the opioid problem has increased or de decreased in the last couple of years? Uh, I think it's stabilized. It has, I, well, stabilized. I, I don't know that it's trended drastically for the better or for the worse. I mean, there are some numbers that indicate overdose deaths uh, are down. There's some factors that uh, probably contribute to that. Narcan, for one. Um, Narcan is a drug that police officers, firefighters, first responders, and actually members of the public can have access to. And if someone is experiencing a, an overdose from opioids, the administration of Narcan is a reversal uh, drug, which has miraculous effects. I mean, I've seen it. Police officers see it, firefighters and first responders. Uh, someone who, by all accounts, looks like they're, they're deceased and the administration of Narcan reverses the effects of opiates and saves many lives. So the fact that overdoses are down, I would say Narcan has a lot to do with it. I would also be hopeful that some of the prevention efforts that have gone on have been helpful toward those that are struggling you know, with addiction. But I do believe it continues to be a struggle and a challenge each and every day uh, the availability of drugs is, you know, a sad reality. I, I One of the things I, I like to do, Jerry, I like to be very honest and truthful, and I, I guess I should be anyways, but sometimes, you know, you have to be uh, brutally honest. And the av availability of, of drugs, particularly illegal drugs, is a problem that is always uh, present in society. And despite law enforcement's best efforts, I, I don't know that there is really anything that the police can ever do to eliminate the availability of drugs for those that are seeking them and want to use them. Uh, drug dealing is one of the most uh, insidious businesses that anyone can choose to go into, but it is a business. And it's a business for profit, and they profit off of people's lives, and they destroy people's lives, but it is a business. And because it's a business, there are people who make money doing it, and I think the allure and the attraction of money, regardless if it is blood money that's uh, destroying individuals and destroying those that love them, 
and having a devastating impact on society, uh, there are always going to be people that want to profit that way, and that's a challenge to us. Uh, but, you know, one of the good things that Malden has, like, Eddie, like many cities, uh, but what we have is we have a community that uh, doesn't look at problems um, with indifference. So the opioid epidemic has touched so many people. I'm sure that, you know, you could tell me the names of some people that you know, families that probably grieve as we sit here, uh, parents tomorrow who are going to go visit a, a grave and remember someone who died too young. But I think one of the uh, powerful things is a, a community like ours is people don't just uh, – let people suffer alone, or just say that things are the inevitable consequence of society's you know, reality. And we have people in this community, organizations like Malden Overcoming Addiction, who have stepped up and tried to step into that void or that need for support, people uh, needing recovery services, parents or loved ones who don't know what to do, where to turn. Uh, organizations that have helped provide Narcan to people. So I, I keep getting back maybe to that idea what I said earlier, you know, the three R's, random patrol, rapid response, reactive investigation. That's a police officer getting a call that someone is in overdose, 911, rushing to that call, using Narcan, saving a life. But when you get into the three P's, partnership, problem solving, and prevention, that's where the community gets involved. So, you know, where are the partnerships? We would partner with private organizations or grassroots organizations, Malden Overcoming Addiction, maybe healthcare providers, uh, problem solving. How does the first one on the scene reverse a, an overdose? Narcan. Let's get Narcan into the hands of first responders. There's grants that have allowed that. And then when you get into the idea of prevention, I think one of the greatest strategies for, for drug abuse would be to convince those that have not made that bad choice not to make that choice. And you talked about, you know, you being a middle school student. Um, you know, that, that's really where the reality of choices starts to come your way. And uh, if we can get into that age group that demographic, and give them real information that they can take and digest and think about. And it leads toward prevention with those young people as they grow up and these choices and decisions are presented before them. They are armed in some way with the ability to look at it and hopefully, hopefully, make a choice that's in their best interest. Now, are there other, um, aside from overcoming addiction, are there other programs in the schools now that teach? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know specifically what the health curriculum is, but I do know that there have been conversations along those lines that the earlier that we can get the general concept maybe of, you know, the consequences of choices as they relate to taking things into your body, and then as, uh, you know, you're dealing with an a advanced age, then maybe you can get more into the specifics about, you know, what opiates are and what different drugs are and what they, they present as far as risks. I mean, we, we are seeing some challenges right now because, uh, for right or wrong, uh, you know, there have been some ballot initiatives and, and legislative initiatives around the country or even in the state or what have you that have kind of sent out a, a mixed message about, um, you know, marijuana. Uh, again, one of the great things about being a, a police officer is you take an oath to uphold the law. So when laws are enacted as a result of a legitimate constitutional process, it's our job to follow the law. So I'm not here to really debate the merits of that, but I, I, I will say it becomes a bit of an issue uh, when there tends to be some uh, trends in society that is uh, 
ignoring some of the risks associated with certain drugs. So, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult uh, thing. You know, there are things that go on at an earlier age with, with, with people nowadays that probably were not a part of life back in an earlier generation, but we have to deal with that fact. And, you know, when you get into, you know, things like substance abuse, even dating violence and bullying and self-esteem, there's a whole range of topics now that are definitely part of the, the life of a young person and it, I don't think there is any one government agency or private entity that can deal with all of them exclusively. And that's why we keep going back to the idea of, of, of needing help uh, and whether it be different, you know, ways of, of getting to someone. You know, you know, maybe like when you were in school, the idea of a, of a police officer coming into your class wouldn't have resonated with you. Maybe there was a different approach. So that's why, you know, you, you take things like the recreation department in the city, which makes great uh, attempts and accomplishes much by providing good things for kids to do. Uh, and while providing them with good act activities to do, they also send out that message of self-esteem building, you know, feeling good about yourself, feeling good about who you are, and we've had some good uh, interactions where police officers and firefighters have teamed up with Joe Levine from the Recreation Department to, uh, you know, play sports with young people. And I've gone to these things. And you can see the positive benefit when a young person, a high school student, is now playing volleyball next to a police officer or a firefighter. And maybe they start to see them in a different way. And, and th those are all, all good things. So it, it's a comprehensive approach toward any problem. And, uh, you know, the, the, the drug issue, you know, the substance abuse issue is something that uh, has, you know, always been a challenge toward society and the police. I mean, I, I, people often say to me, you know, you see me at the train station a lot, and I, I like to talk to people. But, you know, people will come up to me because, you know, I – as I indicated, this is like my 40th year, and you know, people will say, oh, this world today, it's really never seen it so bad. And I, I don't like that pessimistic analysis, and I don't really think it's that accurate because you know, looking back at my career, there has always been substance abuse realities. The drug might have changed a little bit. I mean, let's, let's take the... Uh, late 70s, early 80s, cocaine, okay? Then it goes into crack cocaine. Yeah. Now you advance a little bit. Now you get into, you know, the 90s, say, uh, like uh, club drugs, ecstasy, things like that. Now you advance the calendar a little bit more. Now you're into OxyContin. Uh, now take OxyContin, now it's become heroin. Now we're into fentanyl. So I don't think that there's really a time in history when you could say the choices of substance abuse were, were absent. I think that things have changed. Just my, my instinctive feeling about that is it goes back to something that we said. Drug dealing is a business. I don't know any business that hasn't evolved you know, you know, there's good businesses that yeah. evolve. They, they, they change the product. They change the marketing. You know, we, we could talk for hours about, you know, how, how evil, evil drug dealing is. Uh, I, I've seen it up close, and uh, I'm aware of it from my time investigating drug cases with some great, great police officers on the front lines of this. And, you know, one of the things that has always uh, struck me was that, you know, a, a drug dealer chooses what product he's going to sell. And there are drug dealers who choose to sell heroin and fentanyl. By doing that, the drug dealer has chosen, by choice now, to sell a drug that they know is deadly, addicting, destroys the customer, destroys their families, and destroys communities. That is a choice that the drug dealer made, an evil choice. 
to sell that product. And they pick that product because they know that once they have that customer, they have them seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when their customer, unfortunately, may die, they're only saddened by the loss of the customer. And who do they leave behind? Those who grieve. That's why I believe that the opioid addiction crisis has generated a lot of love, compassion, caring, community energy. I just uh, sometimes wonder if, if people are angry enough at those that have benefited and profited by this because I, I could uh, give you the names of some people who are no longer with us uh, and that's not right, that people have profited off of that and I just think sometimes, there are a lot of times in life when anger is not a good emotion, it can be wasteful, but there are some times when it can generate uh, an energy or a commitment that, that, the, that what caused that anger should not uh, be allowed to exist. So, Well, you brought up a topic uh, that is gonna, I'm going to segue right into the next marijuana. I understand you're going to be on the new Cannabis Commission. Yeah. Uh, again, this is an evolving uh, issue in society. And again, there are laws now that are going to uh, regulate the industry. Uh, and so I think when the city... Uh, realized they had to have uh, a cannabis board that was different than the licensing board that regulates, you know, bar, uh, yeah. restaurants, and liquor establishments. Uh, I thought it would be uh, a good thing if somebody from public safety was involved in it. And when I was asked, I was, you know, very enthusiastic about that because I believe that the that the city should have uh, a board or a group that's involved in this with some focus on the public safety side of it. And uh, I'm looking forward to participating in that with others and doing everything I can to ensure that the law is followed and it's done in a way that uh, reflects uh, what's the best interest of the community. But again, understanding that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, my job is to obey and follow the law and uh, I think that's something that the commission will, will be able to do and, you know, navigate this uh, new uh, trend or societal reality in a way that will make sure that everybody's uh, interests are looked at and addressed as good as possible, knowing that you can never accomplish something that everybody is completely satisfied. But from my position as police chief and also being a resident of Malden, uh, I will do everything that I can to, to make sure that the public safety element is met uh, in a way that uh, uh, meets the public's expectations. I understand you have a, a web series, too. I think we're going to we'll show a clip yeah, a little bit uh, after you. Yeah, uh, it's interesting you say that because, you know, as we uh, spent some time in the beginning uh, talking about, you know, my, my long career, I, I hope it wasn't uh, that boring to people, but when you're a police officer, you should try to take every opportunity you can to interact with the public. And I think many people, if they're old enough to remember the, the walking police officer, they somehow really enjoyed the idea that you could stop and see the policeman walking by your house or standing on a corner and you could talk to them, and people knew who the police officer was. And I do believe that uh, the more interaction you have with the public, the better. That's why many of my offices, each and every day, they do what's called a park and walk. Even though they're in a sector-based cruiser, they park their cruiser, and they get out and walk around the neighborhood. One of the great things that we've been doing, Jerry, is 
offices randomly during the day shift will go to a school, park the cruiser, and go into the school and interact with kids maybe for 15 or 20 minutes. So there are opportunities in which you can interact with the public. Now, I'm a big believer in that because it gives you an opportunity to hear from people, you know, what's going on in their life, what their perspective is of, of the community. Now, it's very, very important in a city like Malden. You know, Malden being very diverse, one thing that I've always been impressed by is many of the people that I interact with who are uh, just came here from another country, their perception of the police is based upon their knowledge and history of their own country. And in many countries in the world, the police are not so nice. They're to be avoided. Uh, people have fear and they have uh, apprehension and anxiety. So the challenge for police in a city like Malden is to let people know that the police in the United States are here to serve. We're here to help, and we're here to follow the Constitution. But sometimes that requires conversation. That requires face-to-face -face contact. So that's why, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll see you, when I'm at the train station at night standing there with Gene Lamore, a great cop who works the downtown area. And we're just there for a couple of reasons. You know, it's good to be around the T station. It's the fifth busiest station on the Orange Line. I think 11,500 people use it a day. So when you see me there during rush hour, there could be two or 3,000 people coming through. And when I'm standing there with Gene Lamore, you know, they get to see us. We get to see them. So there's probably something good about the uniform presence for public safety or deterrent to crime. But for me, one of the better things is the opportunity to interact with people who come up and talk to us. So you mentioned the uh, video series. So about five or six weeks ago, I had a couple of really uh, great detectives, uh, Sergeant Mike Powell and Steve Mulcahy, come to me with the idea that we would use uh, technology and social media to get out a public safety message to the public. And uh, I am not that technologically savvy about social media, and they had the equipment. So the idea would be that every week or so, I would give a you know eight to ten minute overview of what went on in the city during the previous week, highlighting some police uh, incidents that have occurred, the goal being to maybe alert the public about crime trends that have gone on so they can be better prepared uh, you know, to keep themselves safer. Like one of the best examples of that to me is you know, the recurring problem of overnight car breaks. People have their car broken into overnight, and when we review the cases, we find that in maybe 75% of them, the car is unlocked with uh, valuables in the car. So if people could lock their car and not put valuables uh, in the car, that would reduce the likelihood of being a victim of that crime. So what we do with the uh, video is we give an overview of events that have happened in the week. We try to highlight some of the good police work that's gone on. We try to give as much information as we can about specific incidents because there's a lot of misinformation that gets out there. You know, one of the... Uh, benefits of social media is it allows you to get a message out timely to a lot of people. But, you know, one of the detrimental things is people tend to use social media in a way to put inaccurate uh, information out there. That, that'll happen, you know, quite a bit. Uh, give you an example that uh, every now and then, you know, a helicopter might be hovering over the city. And people, I guess, will go on social media, media and start to speculate about why it's there. And I'll get calls. And generally speaking, you know, uh, unreliable, inaccurate, and irresponsible comments on social media unnecessarily cause people to have fear. And that's why we want people to understand that when we give information from the police, our information will be timely and as accurate as possible. So with these weekly uh, videos that we give out to the public, the goal is to reach out to as many people 
as possible and give them uh, an overview about what's going on in the city from the context of the police and public safety. And we're going to try to build upon this. And it's been a, a, a very, very uh, good experience. We've gotten a lot of good feedback. And we've also gotten a lot of good feedback uh, recently about the uh, increased use of Facebook to give out information about crime, uh, imagery about suspects that we're trying to investigate. And that's been very helpful. If I could just take a minute on that one, Jerry, because one thing, you know, I talked about the changes in society and technology. Uh, a lot of people have wisely chosen to put cameras on their property, uh, around their homes. And uh, it's very affordable now. And it's very reliable now. And many, many times when we go to a crime, we canvass the neighborhood to try to find out, does anybody have cameras that might have captured this incident? And they really don't have to have the actual crime occurring on video because you have to either get to a crime or you have to leave some way. And many times when we expand the search to the uh, perimeter, to the yep. periphery, we get imagery of a suspect. I, we just did this uh, this past week. We had a robbery of a cab driver and the two officers that handled this call, uh, Adam Mahar and Adam Siegel, on the, on the midnight shift, did a great job gathering evidence, footprint evidence, and then they were able to capture some video surveillance uh, at the 7-Eleven, and we put that out you know, to the public. So you know, the use of uh, private cameras has really helped us a lot. The city has cameras at various locations in the city, but one of the things, we talk about that partnership. The police cannot do everything on their own. There's a great saying, uh, I think it's from Sir Robert Peel, considered the father of modern policing, that the police are the public and the public are the police. In essence, what that means is we're all committed to the goal and the mission of making our city safe. It's not just the police responsibility, it's actually more so the public because there's not a city in the world where there are more police than people. And because there are more people than the police, you can actually accomplish a tremendous amount of good for us because the majority of people in a city like Malden, most of them are good. So if we can kind of combine that, it's really a force multiplier. So when we have members of the public that have private cameras, to capture imagery of a suspect or an incident, it's a tremendous help to us. And that's one of the other ways that we're using our social media to try to expand upon our relationship with the public and getting them involved in helping us. And I also want to let the public know that you can help us anonymously just because you provide us with some video imagery or you tell us you, you might know who the person is you know, you, you can remain anonymous and don't fear that you're going to have to be exposed uh, as, as someone who helped the police. All right. I think uh, I'll ask the director. We may have the, the video queued up. You know, it's a couple-minute video of your uh, web series. Oh. Good afternoon, everyone. One of the questions that I did receive came from a citizen who asked about facial recognition and whether we use it. Facial recognition, as you know, is a very good technology whereby people can be identified as a result of uh, photographic imagery. It is something that we would have available to us in the event that there was a high-profile serious crime or incident, but generally speaking, uh, what we're relying on is an active use of social media. You have seen recently examples where we have put out video imagery of photographs of suspects and crimes, and we have asked you to help us because you are our partner. And that has worked very successfully. As I often say, the police are the people and the people are the police. So us getting that information out to you through this various means of uh, social media is one of the greatest examples we have. So we're gonna continue to get that information out to you as often as we can and we encourage people when they come across video image. The following program was produced by... We're back. 
So uh, we have over a little, uh, well, 10, 10 minutes left in the show. I wanted to bring up some um, other stuff with the chief. I hear, uh, I, and I totally forgot we were talking about this in the video, that you've been in a couple movies. How did you, how did that start? Uh yeah, so this wouldn't this this here tonight wouldn't uh, qualify me for any Screen Actors Guild uh, stuff, but I don't know. I I the one movie I was in in the beginning, the first time was uh, Gone Baby Gone. Uh, I got to actually play a detective, and I got to say a line to Casey Affleck, and uh, I think it was because of my accent. I I actually auditioned with Ben Affleck and he, he liked my accent. So that, that was kind of, uh, wasn't planned. It was kind of an act. Some other people I know were going to audition and I happened to tag along with them and I got picked. And then, uh, the other one was Patriot's day. Again, I, I got to play a, a, a cop and I got to yell for an ambulance. So I think I'm kind of typecast. I'm only getting roles that are related to what I do for a living. So uh, it, it's it, it's an interesting thing. I will tell you, there's a lot of waiting around on the when they're d doing a scene, but it really gives you an idea of of the amount of of work involved in in, in a movie. I mean, Patriot's Day was was done here. A lot of scenes were done here, and uh, you know, we we got to really see up close and personal what really goes into a production like that and uh you know so that that was kind of the the two uh my my two movie experiences but i would much rather be sitting here with you uh you know talking about what's going on in my own city because this isn't an act yeah well <laughs> in, in in all seriousness i know there was recently a shooting and i know legally there's certain things you can't say yep. if you have any information yeah, sure. Uh, I think a lot of what I'm going to, you know, discuss uh, has been put out to the public uh, on on social media by the police and reported by the media. Uh, it was uh, not th this past Saturday, but the Saturday before we had a shooting incident. Uh, officers were called uh, to a shooting that had occurred in the Bowdoin Apartments, uh, and as a result of that call. They located uh, a 23-year-old male from Salem, Massachusetts, inside of a motor vehicle that would, had made its way to Easton Avenue at that point. Uh, the male was transported to a hospital and subsequently pronounced deceased. Uh, the officers from patrol did a tremendous job uh, securing a couple of crime scenes, gathering evidence, uh, which they were able to uh, pass on to the Malden Police Detectives and state police detectives who were assigned to Marion Ryan, the district attorney's office. So as a result of that investigation, uh, they've been able to identify the person who's responsible uh, for this uh, shooting death, and there is a warrant in effect for him. Uh, he's a Malden resident, 18-year-old, named uh, Yahia Matsuri. Uh, he continues to be at large and being actively pursued by the department. Uh, anyone that has any information about his whereabouts should contact us if they're so inclined. We would greatly appreciate you know, your assistance in this. But one of the things that I wanted to assure the public, and this was uh, brought out in the uh, release of information from the DA's office, that it is based on the facts and circumstances that we know, that it is not believed uh, that this was a random incident. We believe that all the parties uh, involved had met uh, based upon a prearranged uh, drug transaction that was supposed to occur, and it was, uh, you know, based upon you know what we know that the shooting uh, was connected to that. So I, I want the public to know that that this is not a situation of a of a random act. Uh, the detectives that are involved in the case did a tremendous job gathering facts and information, and it's uh, always a good thing to be able to identify a suspect you know, early on so that the public knows that their department uh, not only reacts in response to a call, they're able to uh, conduct an investigation that is uh, fruitful and uh, will hopefully result in the 
soon arrest of the individual who has the warrant on him, and then the uh, district attorney can you know handle the uh, criminal prosecution. But you know that's something I wanted the public to know about. It's a great job to the the whole entire force. Yeah, yeah. Ag- again, uh, that's another example of uh, you know you talk about partnerships. Uh, you know, whenever there is a, a death that is uh, you know deemed uh, you know unnatural circumstances. Uh, by statute, the district attorney's office and the state police detectives assigned to their office come and work with our detectives. Uh, and, you know, it, it gets back to something, you know, that I, I, I always say that it, it's, generally speaking, it's the public who helps us uh, do what we do. And whether it be their silent support or the times when they decide that they have information or they want to, uh, you know, provide us with some type of tip or insight in, into, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. You know, th- that really uh, kind of enhances everything that we're trying to do. All right. Well, we have less than this, this, this hour flew by. We can be on here for, uh, yeah, I, for hours and hours. But th- if there are any children watching the show, when I was little, the old Maple School and a police officer would come in and speak. We had Officer McGruff come in. Yeah. Whatever happened. Uh, will he make a comeback? Yeah, Officer McGruff could make a comeback. Uh, do you think he would be be well received? Uh, th- what did you think of him when he came in? Oh, we loved it. We, you did. He came in, yeah, and you know it was it was a blast. All right, but, uh, let me see. I, I don't think that Officer McGruff has retired. Uh, I don't think he's on pension right now or anything like that. I I, I can <laughs> find out where he is, and uh, if I can locate him. And he's willing. We'll get him back. Uh, what grade were you in when he came? Oh, this was probably for a second, probably for a second and third grade. Wow, and that had an imp- you remembered that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, so you know, those are the type of that's the type of information that's helpful to me because it you know lets me know. Sometimes we only look at the world or our city through our own lens from the inside of the cruiser. What the beauty of a lot of, uh, you know, the offices that we have here in Malden and even in a larger perspective in general, the idea is you have to kind of look at your city through the eyes of the, of the public. Again, that, that the police are the public, the public are the police. So to hear that, uh, that's something that I'm going to take to heart and see if there's a, a way that we can use that type of format. I will tell you a nice thing that happened in March and it's continuing to happen. I think March is reading month. So Detective Renee Kelly organized something where police officers would go into the schools and read a book to a kindergarten class. And uh, we did it at the BB school, and I saw uh, Officer Dave Young, Chris Griffiths, Cameron DiCarlo, you know, and Detective Renee Kelly was there, and Officer Trent Headley, who's assigned to the uh, lower grades now. We have an officer a school resource officer who's been assigned to the lower grades as a resource to that uh, school population. It's really showing great results early on. But, you know, something like that, just going to read uh, to, uh, you know, the kindergarten class. I went to the BB the other day to read, and they gave me a book. Uh, It was uh, uh, something about wanting to be a fireman. So uh, I, I said, I need another book. I, 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 no, no disrespect to the firemen, but I didn't want to, uh, you know, would have been bad for recruitment if I was reading about being a firefighter. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, they gave me another book to read. It was a Dr. Seuss book. But it went, it, it went well. But I, I, as you say, I mean, I can remember when I, I was in kindergarten and I crossed the street and I remember the, the police officer who did it. His name was Danny Long. You remember McGruff. So I, I think... Jerry, what you tapped into there is there are things that resonate with people that they remember, positive things. Equally so, negative things can happen. So we got to accentuate the, the positive, eliminate the negative, and by doing that, we can continue to move forward and make this city what it has always been, a great city. It will continue to be that way, and our mutual goal is to make it a great city and a safe place to live, work, worship, and raise a family. 
All right, that's all the time we have. I'd like to thank Chief Mollis, and I'd love to have you back on in the future, and thank you. Anytime, anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, man.